0: In a constantly changing world, today is as simple as it gets. You're listening to The Leadership Enigma, a podcast to explore, experiment, and power up your leadership to make the difference to your business, your people, and your success. Whether you're an entrepreneur, business owner, or corporate executive, each week we dig deep into global experts, academics, rising stars, ambitious upstarts, and disruptors. Now, here's your host, Adam Pacifico.
1: So hello and welcome to another episode of The Leadership Enigma and delighted to be joined today by Adam Kingle. Adam, welcome. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, I think it's a privilege for us to have you on this particular episode. Now, Adam is a global educator. He's the former regional managing director of Duke Corporate Education. And excitingly, he is the author of a wonderful new book, Next Generation Leadership. Adam, how's that going?
2: Ah, it's going really well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, only
1: been launched for two months. Well, I know that is ex- uh, that's the topic of uh, today's episode as well, because this is Excite the Cynical and Leading Generation Y. And I know that has been your focus for a long time now.
2: Yes. Well, the, the initial research for it all, even though I didn't necessarily know it was going to be a book, but the initial research for it all began a decade ago. Wow. So this is a long time in the making. What prompted that then a decade ago? I was directing an open enrollment executive education program called the Emerging Leaders Program. And as the name suggests, it was for high potentials. These were young employees in their 20s and 30s our leaders of the future. And what I discovered very early on is that their paradigms about work, life, careers, leadership were very different. From older generations and the companies that were sponsoring them to come on this program are also saying we really don't understand them but we really want to keep and engage these people and so that started at me to ask some questions about what was behind the behaviors that we were seeing from them
1: now i've got two teenagers and i don't understand them and they don't understand me <laughs> it's the same true when we look at the demographics in an organization
2: yeah, indeed, and and of course we are um, living in uh, organizations that have ever more generations in them. I think yeah. it was, it used to be the case that you would have two, possibly three generations in the workforce. Now it's three to four. You know, in in a couple of decades it'll be five. Uh, so h- learning how to effectively manage a multi-generation workforce. Is going to be a key competency.
1: So, Adam, when we talk about the different generations that
2: now exist in organizations, what are those distinctions or categories now? Easy way to define a generation is by the birth years. Mm-hmm. The birth years are defined by what were the dominant paradigms in one's formative years. Right. So, therefore, the band of years that defines one generation from another is is, is not exactly the same. For example, it's not twenty years, twenty years, twenty years. Right. Because you know the the, the major paradigms um, sometimes happen, shift faster or slower. Okay. So the, the, I think the three generations that we're dealing with the most currently in the workforce are, are baby boomers. Right. Uh, born between 1943 and 1960 generation X born between 1961 and 1981 and generation Y, uh, born between 1982 and 2004, otherwise known as millennials. Right and that that's what your book focused on that generation yeah exactly so the people in our organization who are in their 20s and 30s Got um and specifically looking at those who are kind of the high potentials those who are going to be who are currently managers and senior managers and even senior executives in some cases and will be in the c suite very near future and they make up a huge percentage of the workforce don't they yeah they're half the global workforce today and in just five years' time, Gen Y will compose 75% of the global workforce. So, you know, this it's not just something about being down with the kids because it's a good thing. It is the majority <laughs> of our workforce, and we have to um, understand, uh, you know, what drives them. What I would say, just as a very quick caveat, is, of course, when you're talking about generations, you're also... By definition generalizing so of course a lot of the things that i mentioned were predominantly true or were the, the dominant patterns but it's not going to be true for every individual right. of course but you know like uh, like any good leader i think it's look for what trends are broadly true so that you can be broadly more effective so there's not there's no cookie cutting going on here but it's looking for those characteristics yeah, exactly. And uh, of course, it's even trickier with your employees who are sort of born as tweeners, you know, years in between, for example, baby boomers and Gen X or between Gen X and Gen Y. They, right. of course, you know, are more likely to display characteristics in both. Um, and that makes it even trickier for, for, the, uh, for their managers. So as a leader in an organization
1: where you, there's an abundance of the Generation Y, what are some of the, the, the challenges that they're facing or the characteristics that they'll be, they'll be seeing?
2: Yeah. We have to understand that Gen Y um entered the workforce at a time when they were constantly dis- disappointed by their employers. Right. Right? So for example, many of them either entered the workforce or before entering the workforce saw, you know, how their employers were employers were treating their parents and their elder siblings. You know, they grew up during the great recession um where people lost their jobs, lost their pensions, and then when they joined the workforce, they they saw that for example Um, benefits and pension plans were dramatically less attractive than they were for their parents when they were entering the workforce. So that, you know, the whole idea Mm -hmm. of golden handcuffs and golden hellos, golden handshakes are kind of gone now. Um, And so if we don't have these things that bind our employees that used to be the traditional easy, expensive, but, you know, easy uh, ways to attract and keep people, should it surprise any of us that Gen Y are switching employers with ever more rapidly, ever more frightening um, frequency. What's quite shocking is that 90% of Gen Ys say that they plan to switch employers about every five years, and over a third say they are planning to switch every two years. Wow. Wow. So it's a real, it's shocking, but it also is a wake up call for employers that they really have to think about how do you attract and keep top talent because every employer worth their salt is saying that our number one asset are, are our people, um, but they haven't necessarily cracked the code to, uh, to, to keep them because you know, the, a preview is it's not about pensions or traditional tangible benefits. As I was talking to my other Gen X friends, family, colleagues, what was almost universally true, almost always, is that among our grandparents, they only had one to two employers in their entire right. lifetime. Our parents um, had, you know, about four uh, uh, to six, and for, for me, Gen, you know, us and Gen, Gen X, it's gonna be about seven to eight in our Mm -hmm. lifetime. And at the rate at which Gen Y is changing jobs, it's gonna be 15 to 16. So what you see is, it seems that with every generation, the number of employers in your career doubles. Wow. At some point, that pattern you imagine has got to fall apart. But I'm not so sure because you know we're we're kind of inevitably um, careening toward ever more toward a gig economy. And even for white collar workers, this might be you know project based work, contractor based work. So if you think of each of those as an employer, it's very easy to consider that maybe our children and grandchildren, still in school, will have 32 employers in a lifetime. Wow, it's hard to almost
1: imagine how you move career. 32 different times. So are organizations now really training their people so they can leave?
2: Well, yeah, and and one of the one of the reasons that they're there This is a big reason why companies are more cautious about investing in development Because they you would say I'm spending X per high-potential employee only for them to leave one or two years later What's the point? Um, but uh, you know of course you have to think about this as a long game. So the first thing I would say to these people is you still need your people to be developed, right? Your people's collective capability is your organization's total capability. Mm. So you can't say, well, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna invest in their development because then you're gonna have ever less sophisticated people, which means you're no longer serving your customers adequately, et cetera, et cetera. Second is when I say the long game, I mean you have to think about that the fact that your employees might join you two or three times over the course of their careers. And they will come back. But that means you have to exit them well. I mean, too many employers uh, act like uh, an employee is persona non grata as soon as they receive their resignation notice. You know, they say, okay, fine, sh- sh- turning your swipe card, we're going to deactivate your email and don't let the door hit your ass on the way out. Right. Instead, they should think about call you creating that a strong relationship cultivating them that relationship even after they've left because of course when they leave they might be suppliers they might be customers or clients and they're going to be getting more experience they're going to be developing themselves as leaders they might their uh, future employers might be sending them on formal development programs and then if they come back you get the benefit of all of those things without by the way having to pay for all of it um professional services organizations are world class at this um, creating strong alumni networks, your Deloitte's and your McKinsey's, et cetera. Mm-hmm. They hold reunions uh, um, for their alumni. They know that that network is as important as your clients and past clients. Um, so I think or, uh, so many more companies can learn a heck of a lot from, uh, from universities and professional services organizations here.
1: So they actually create a real sense of belonging
2: well, that's what it's about, yes. can Don't just think of it as employer value proposition, but maybe ecosystem value proposition. Um, organizations through. we know, uh, as a whole, are really in-drawn in, in terms of their perspective, when they wanna innovate, when they wanna create new products and services. Do they ever talk to people outside of their organization? No, I'm typically, should they? Absolutely, yes. But that means they have to um, widen the aperture of their view of where good ideas come from and think of themselves as explorers and curators rather than creating ever more committees made up of uh, uh, people who are purely internal.
1: It's a bit of the old world versus new world. And so I have to ask a particular question, which is pandemic related. Now, people might be listening to this maybe long after we've got through this particular crisis is that going to impact the gig economy or how people see moving from employer to employer or being self-employed that they're going to look for more st- stability might that happen it,
2: well if they were to do that i think it might be happening right now but if we're, right. if you're listening to this podcast let's say a year or two after it's been recorded mm-hmm. i would suspect that that wouldn't be the case you okay. could flip this you could flip your question entirely on its head and say when people are uh, working from home or furloughed in that time of reflection, Mm. maybe the most intense prolonged period of reflection that they've had since they were in university or in school would they not even consider how they could create a more flexible life and be the architects and the masters of their own fate That's and actually even further embrace the gig economy uh, or the contractor world, or even further embrace the idea that, well, I'm only going to join an employer to the extent that I feel that I will have advanced and progressed and grown and then I'll move on? And so this is putting to the lie all those pushbacks that so many employers would have been giving their people over the decades about why it's impossible for them to work from home. Um, one day a week, two days a week, three days a week, you know, saying that won't work, that's impossible. The pandemic right now is teaching all those employers, A, that it's possible, B, how to do it effectively. So even when the pandemic is over, employers cannot look their people in the face and say, oh, well, working from home isn't effective. We can't do it. We don't know how to do it. Of course, that that's now complete nonsense. Um, and as a result of that, I think people are going to think much more about themselves as entities who can add value to their world, their communities, the customers, etc. Uh, and that uh, will um, further emphasize the point that every person is a value or a legal entity or a corporate entity yeah. or a service provider unto themselves. So Adam... Let's focus on what is it that Gen Y actually wants. Then, so I did a, a, a survey over five years of the participants on this executive education program, mm-hmm. and I and one of the survey questions I gave them a huge list about ten different things of you know what what attracts you to a given employer, what might help you stay with a given employer, and I had tangible benefits and intangible benefits, and you know things like CEO's reputation, mm-hmm. CSR strategy. Um, uh you know performance based bonus, you name it. And I asked them to rank their top three choices. So three two one. And a okay. uh, a a choice selected as number one was weighted more heavily than a choice rated as two or three. Gotcha. And the answers came out very strongly and very consistently.
1: Okay. We're number gonna th- we can start at number three. I feel like it's a yes, pop picker now. Yes, okay. It'll, it'll so start at in three. at number
2: three then go on. In at number three. Number three, ding 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 are yep. development opportunities. Okay. So I don't think this will come as a surprise to many people with thinking about their younger employers who are always saying, can I have a development opportunity? But what does and it employers, mean? Yeah, employers are getting this wrong because they always think a development opportunity means I have to send you on a course and that's too expensive mm-hmm. and you're gonna be out of work, you know, you're not gonna be working during that period of time. A development opportunity can be so many things. It can be mentor, it can be a coach, it can be a secondment, it can be an international placement. All of these things demonstrate to your employee that you care and you want them to develop within their career. And most of those things that I listed cost next to nothing. In at number two, what's number two? In at number ding ding ding, organizational culture. Um, this is super important, and I think here again, organizations have the wrong end of the stick about what it means to have a strong, shared, engaging culture. Okay. The best definition I ever heard of culture is a two-word definition, and it is shared behaviors. Shared so behaviors. What we, okay. what we mean by that is culture is observed. It doesn't matter what the values are that you have on the wall or in the lift if you cannot see those in action. Um, So that's what Gen Y in particular are looking for. How do people relate to one another? How do they behave toward one another? And is that consistent with what they want, what they're looking for?
1: So that's also gonna be important for leaders to really understand the importance of how they role model the behaviors that are being seen. Okay, right.
2: Yeah, that's completely right. So the best way to strengthen and even change a culture is for the role models in the organization, i.e. the leaders, Mm -hmm. To actually talk to each other and explicitly say, what behaviors do we want to see more of and less of in this organization? Right. And then they have to make a pact with one another to do that, to turn up the dial on those behaviors they want to see and eliminate the behaviors they don't want to see and hold one another accountable. Yes, for so that. true. Then when people join the organization, they consciously and unconsciously are looking around at the people who are successful around here and saying, well, what are they doing on a day-to-day basis? How are they acting? Because clearly that's the way that one progresses in this organization. really has very little to do with hiring an expensive communications agency, for example, to write some compelling phrases and words, which are empty.
1: Yeah. I think that's such good advice because so many organizations that you and I have worked with have spent lots of money on very fancy words and phrases, but never thought about the behaviors that support or undermine those very values.
2: Yeah, quite right, quite right.
1: So so that leads us to number
2: one. What is number one, Adam? In at number one, bing, is work-life balance. what does that mean? Well, that's a great question because when when I often see people, particularly older generations, rolling their eyes when I talk about work-life balance, it's because it's just fascinating different generations have different definitions of this phrase so when gen y is asking for work-life balance and baby boomers or even gen x are rolling their eyes it's because there is semantic discord about what we are talking about gen x and baby boomers to them a work life balance is a when request. So they hear if someone asks for work life balance to them. That means, oh, you want to work fewer hours. You don't want to put in the time. Right. You don't want to pay your dues. I did. You're lazy. Blah, 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 blah. For, for Gen Y, work life balance is a where request. Okay. So they're saying, look, te- technology in most many industries and functions certainly not all of them but in many technology allows me to work anywhere anytime and of course that doesn't mean they're working fewer hours if they're working from home and in a cafe as a matter of fact the ubiquity of technology means that we work everywhere and all the time um you know we all know we're working way more hours than we used to because the the technology that allows us to work remotely means it's extended our work day it doesn't end when you begin your commute home. So so Gen Y are just asking for that flexibility so that they can make the extended work hours that we all are confronting more livable. That may be, and so it really is just, let's make sure that we're talking about the same thing and then we can have a proper productive work-life balance conversation.
1: And so Adam, in some ways, the global pandemic has proved their point. Yes.
2: Yeah, absolutely so. It's fun. I just read a fascinating interview with the CEO of Barclays Bank, and he was saying, post-pandemic, I don't think we need all this expensive real estate, you know, office buildings in central London and Canary You York. may be right. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it, it, so I think companies might even proactively now start to uh, uh, promote greater work-life balance or, or at least greater flexibility in terms of where we work
1: okay so in some ways it's challenging the essence of some organization's business model
2: well yes yeah that's right i think gone are the days of management means you have to supervise physically your people right watch them produce the outputs we all know that really what matters in terms of one's value as an employee Is your outcomes right? Do you hit your KPIs? The whole idea of FaceTime is just absurd today, right? With uh, with technology, Um, so you know I think uh, organizations have to stop thinking of management as a function of controlism and thinking of management as a function of relevance. In other words, I would hope and will predict that more and more management, the act of management, is gonna be about how can we be more relevant, more value adding for our customers, our people, and our communities, and our shareholders even more today than we were yesterday. And less about you know understanding and supervising um, our people as if they were automatons. Where can people get your book? It is available wherever good books are sold, <laughs> online and post-pandemic physically. Um, I think if you're listening to this in the UK, where we're both ha- recording this, I would suggest online would be your best option. And uh, I'd also say support your indie booksellers, right? There are lots of great um, sites out there that, in- that are collectives of indie bookstores. Um, we want to uh, support them, so I'd encourage people to, to check those out.
1: Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Now, Adam, I've got three rather silly questions for you, which you've had no notice about. So let's see where this takes us. Uh, favourite hobby? Cooking. Anything in particular?
2: Um, I'm, it's quite, uh, eclectic. I like all kinds of cuisines and I actually can't get quite, I enjoy getting involved. You know, I'm not, I'm not the person who's like, Oh yeah, you know, I will only cook things that can be done within 30 minutes or less and no more than six ingredients. You know, if I encounter recipes that look exciting and look challenging, that will take two hours and involve, you know, 25 ingredients. I'll go for it. Oh, I probably won't do it. Well, I, I, yeah, I won't do it right now because, of course, it's going to be impossible to acquire all those ingredients uh, in lockdown. But, but you know, when when we're out of this, uh, yeah, I do love um, uh, giving myself a good stretchy uh, challenge. Okay, and so as as an author, what's your favorite word? Ooh, that's a great question. It's probably a tie between commonsensical and doulali.
1: I quite like
2: both of those. I must
1: admit. <laughs> and here's my last question to you, Adam, is what's your best bit of advice to your 21-year-old self?
2: Oh, my gosh. Ah, good, a good, one. Huh? Yeah, wonderful question. Um, yeah. To my 21-year-old self, yeah. I would say… Only a few years ago, to be fair. But. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it would be, ah, go on and kiss her, you dope. i think well that's
1: perfect advice isn't it um adam it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you thank you so much i hope you'll consider only coming back and chatting to us again when the world goes back to
2: wherever it's headed absolutely anytime i really enjoyed this adam take great care and you thank you Join us again next
0: week for more essential insights on the leadership enigma. We'd love to hear your comments on today's show, as well as suggestions for future topics and guests. Get in touch with your host on LinkedIn or via our website, www.pca-global.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes.
2: Thanks for listening.